everyone, and welcome back to this bonus episode on High Pay with me, Kristalina, as your host. Today, we have Tim Jones. Tim is a puppeteer with over 25 years of puppetry, character design, puppet making, and comedy. Tim has crafted a career in puppetry with a serious passion for comedy, a fascination for the monstrous, as well as a downright funny peculiar. Tim has been a lead puppeteer for the BAFTA and international Emmy-nominated Strange Hill High, which I think is for grown-ups, been a BAFTA and international-nominated projects, credited with CBBC, Nickelodeon, Channel 4 and 5. Endemol is one of his clients as well as Sky, Netflix, and the Jim Henson Company. So let's welcome Tim. Hi, Tim. How are you doing? And welcome to High Pay. Thank you very much. Yeah, really, really exciting to be here. Uh, yeah, no, really, really excited. I'm, I'm really excited to um, have you here because I think you sent me a message, I think, on Instagram uh, saying that you really enjoy the episodes and that you would like to be on High Pay. And here you are. So this is your episode. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. yeah. You have to be careful what you wish for. So, so suddenly here I am. Uh, no, I've been working my way through them. And, uh, the, you know, there's so much, um, you know, inspiration and so many sort of lessons to hear. And uh, and and also, I think your ability to sort of um, make connections across so many sort of different media and disciplines is really exciting. So, um, you know, I never quite know who or what's going to turn up on your, on your next podcast. So, you know, I love the variety and just... You know, it's one of those things, it's a, it's a glimpse into another world. There's so much that crosses over, but, you know, there's always more to learn. Well, thank you. And thanks again for taking the initiative to reach out and say some lovely words as well as, you know, get involved. Because I think, you know, people need to hear about puppeteering, don't they? I think so. I think uh, I think finally it feels like the UK in particular is, is relaxing uh, enough to admit that it always quite enjoyed puppetry. I think it feels, you know, that perhaps thanks to works like, um, uh, you know, the War Horse um, um, performance, that actually it sort of, uh, I think the grown-ups particularly, I think children, you know, have a you know, very natural ability to buy into this stuff. But I think that, you know, it feels like in the UK where there's been a bit of resistance, but actually I think uh, we can relax now and just go, do you know what? It's about storytelling. It can cover every kind of topic or theme, you know, whether it's light and funny or, or dark and foreboding or a mixture of both, um, you know, it's about storytelling and, and, you know, puppetry is just one of the many sort of tools, you know, creative tools you can use to tell a story. Exactly. And, you know, obviously I, I always do research before I do an episode and I was looking into the history of puppetry and it dates back to ancient Greece, which I'm sure many people know about. Um, and I would say also Sicily, you know, I'm my father is Sicilian, so my whole family on my father's side are Sicilian. And, you know, puppetry dates back in Sicily, particularly in Palermo and Catania from the 19th century, which I'm actually really proud to share on this episode because it's something that I have very close to my heart and my heritage. Um, and the puppets there are called Le, Le Marionette, and there's a whole opera called Opera dei Pupi. 
Um, and UNESCO had recently acknowledged the opera dei pupi, the opera of the puppets, <laughs> um, as a sort of intellectual product um, as part of the UNESCO uh, sort of foundation, if you will. And I actually have a puppet here with me, and I wanted to show you which one it was. <laughs> what have you got? Let's look. Um, I have a female knight called Angelica. I don't know if you can see that. Yes, yes, that's beautiful. You're going to describe it for a sense. I will describe it to the high fay listeners. Um, <laughs> so she's she's one of the female knights. Uh, part of the history of the opera is, I think there's quite they're they're mainly male knights, and Angelica is the female knight, and she's wearing a blue felt uh cape and uh skirt and trousers and all of the rest of her is armor and i don't know if you can hear any of this but there's a bit of asmr there for you <laughs> yeah yeah i should close my eyes <laughs> so yeah she's she's got these sticks um that lead into her arms and one of the sticks is a leads into her right hand which carries a sword and her the other stick, which is used for the puppeteer, um, has string that's connected to her left hand, and she's holding her shield. And she's got this helmet as well, and this beautiful blue feather on the helmet. And I love her. Uh, she's part of my newest collection. Um, I have these ancient puppets from my dad that we've collected over the years, and some of them are antiques. And she's my female one, and I bought her in Palermo recently when I went to see my um, second cousin uh, at her wedding this this she's year, this summer. Beautiful, yeah, she's beautiful. But the um, the detailing on the metalwork, what you, know, what is it? Metal? Is it thin sheet metal molded on top of something? Yeah, yeah, it's thin sheet metal. Um, and um, yeah, they. I mean, it's a real shin plates, artisanal craft as he as i i thought i'd bring it and show you because i feel like you'd appreciate it <laughs> yeah no definitely and so you said that one of those um that's a rod leading to her sword hand is that right yeah sorry not a stick it's a rod okay oh, everyone. Sorry, yeah no no <laughs> i wasn't trying to correct you your name. i mean you know, no, you it, must. it's a stick um but i was thinking rather than because you talk about the the opera being an opera of um puppets mm -hmm. but that are they marionettes? Are they rod puppets? Do they have a bit of both? What's that red cord or rod that I can see? Is that the solid? Red, no, the red cord is like, a, it's just a string that helps a string, yeah. her to move her left hand, her left arm. Um, but actually what they, you know, so what they do is there's a whole theater and you've got these human beings that are operating the puppets uh, on each side of the wings. And I think that is connected to longer rods and strings. Right. Well, I, I, my guess is that the, the the fact that the sword arm has a solid rod to it means that she'll be able to deliver a really good death blow on a downstrike. As yeah, opposed that's to what just I love about on, her. Yeah, <laughs> as opposed to just relying on the, the flop of gravity that you would get. Um, exactly, cool. exactly. And there's actually a family in, in Palermo who have been doing this for generations and generations. So it's quite interesting in terms of the history of it. But Angelica is her name and uh, it's a, an original artisanal puppet from Palermo. 
making puppets is you know can be you know a fantastic part of it i think i i my impression is that a lot of people who have you know worked with puppeteers or puppets rather uh, or even um played with puppets um have been makers as well because there's a time when you're perhaps starting out you think well i'd like to puppeteer a dragon uh i haven't got a dragon puppet or the ones in the shops sometimes actually are more for looks and cuddle ability rather than actually, you know, good for control. So yes. you, you often, I think, you, you know, a lot of people will make the, the the puppets that they need for their story. So I think a lot of puppeteers are probably makers as well. And uh, yeah. yeah, so that's quite fascinating that there's, it's almost like, um, what do they say? Um, he or she who who chops the wood warms themselves twice. And I, and I wonder if, the, the the preparatory work of making a puppet adds to the joy of performing it because you've you've got that familiarity with it and uh, it's always interesting as a puppeteer when I'm brought into a project um, I really if I can I try and encourage the the production to get me involved early so that um, if I have any input on the uh, on the, the the rods or the the mechanisms for the puppetry that I can have an input on that I mean you know a lot of the time you know, they're all incredibly professional people with an amazing eye for detail and a real appreciation for the puppetry. Um, mm -hmm. You know, it's always really nice to sort of um, feel surprised when you, you know, and, and to learn new things. And I recently was given a, a puppet, a very small puppet character um, whose feet were um, fixed to the floor. So she was pretty much solid up to the waist. Um, but she'd been designed, well, actually this was, um, Andrew Gent of um, AMS um, Arch Model Studios, who made the um, the, the characters for um, that large project I was posting about uh, the back market. Um, other brands have recycled, refurbished um, technology are available, um, but the simplicity, the apparent simplicity of the actual make, really allowed room for a beautiful, sophisticated, or well, all modesty aside, uh, <laughs> um, mm -hmm. puppeteering. So mm -hmm. she had a flexibility in her hips. She had a sort of lateral movement uh, on the on the on the shoulders and the neck, and and with a with a assistant puppeteer on the arms as well. And and she had one rod that was attached to the back of her head, which was like a, a free rotating, a sort of like a universal um, spindle. Which means, in theory, you could rotate the rod three hundred and sixty degrees around the back of her head, but you could also lean it away, uh, and the the sort of flexibility you could get was really amazing. So for example, you could you could push the rod, you could keep the rod in the same axis, but push it forwards and backwards. And that would keep her head level, but it would lean her, sort of lean her chest forward and and you know it would, it would crook her from her from her waist. Um, but then you could lean the rod forward as well so she could look down. But wow. there were just so many sort of um axes of movement that were available, you know, and, and a lot of the time you know, the, the mechanisms of the puppet can restrict um, the movement that a puppet is capable of. Maybe they've been designed to do one specific action, you know, and sometimes, especially in Hollywood, they'll say, this is the big moment that the puppet needs. Um, it's got to do this. And I'll say, well, OK, well, if it does just that, it may not be able to do uh, something else. So they focus on that. But mm -hmm. um, it's yeah, it was really exciting to see how uh, sort of deceptively simple um flexibility can give you loads of uh, loads of movement yeah it was really really exciting and enjoyable to, to puppeteer her and how did you get involved in that particular project with this sophisticated um puppet 
Yeah, um, well, Nexus Studios, who um, are actually uh, quite a quite a big, uh, yeah, one of sort of Europe's biggest, or maybe even the world's biggest animation studios, who are involved in so many projects. You always sort of hear that there's uh, lots of stuff going on. Um, I worked with them on on quite a few sort of um, puppetry uh, adverts for. Uh, um, am I allowed to mention brands on here? I, I don't know if. I, uh, anyway, oh, no. a very large, uh, respected clothing and food retailer in the UK. And, oh, brands, um, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay, mm -hmm. so um, I was puppeteering sort of um, salt and pepper shakers uh, who were voiced by Anton Deck for Marks and Spencer's kind of Christmas efforts. And so it was a bit like a, a sort of, it was more like, it felt more like Punch and Judy because I was doing both characters um, with, with single rods in the bottom of these sort of salt and pepper shakers. Um, mm -hmm. And if you're puppeteering on your own, um, it's really nice to be able to get two hands on one character because you can almost snooker cue the, uh, the puppet by holding it with your left hand, I'm left, I'm right-handed. So I kind of mm -hmm. guide the fine, um, or perhaps some of the bigger movements with my right hand, but I can also tweak a little movement on my finger and thumb to just put it, add a little bit of extra lift. Um, mm -hmm. I guess to sort of try and pr produce a, a convincing physical um, performance from you know what we hope will be a believable character it often makes sense to give them movement from their core in the way that mm. we do when we balance our, our, our performances and our, and our every waking movement mm -hmm. so even though the temptation is that you would rotate it from where the rod comes through the, the tabletop like that it would give you a, a large arc but it would look like they were arcing from below their solar plexus mm. so you have to sort of try and cheat that yeah, and back make up. That, yeah make that look as if their their point of focus is the core but you, you know you're there's so many things I'm thinking about as you're speaking about this and I'm again really glad that you came on this episode because you know we talk we talk about puppetry but we're also talking about the technicalities of it and also how far-reaching it is culturally speaking around the world there's so much history um, but also in the cultural mainstream, we've got, you know, Jim Henson's The Dark Crystal that was in 1982 and then even recently during the pandemic, which was phenomenal, by the way. Everyone go and watch The Dark Crystal. It's so good. Um, yes. Um, but there's also I'm thinking about emotions and acting. So theatre, you know, I have a background in theatre and, you know, I was taught, I, I remember doing a course um, at City and Guilds many, many years ago, um, about, uh, you know, characterization and how certain characters would walk and where their axis would be. So for example, you would walk in a certain way and the main focus was on your left hip, for example. So you walk around with your left hip a bit uh, down, lower down and see how you interact. How would you sit down if you've got a left hip issue or something like that? You know, every individual has their own personal signature walk, just generally speaking, how they write. So have you looked into um, that aspect of theatre, which I'm sure you have, in terms of performance and uh, characterization linked in with emotion? Big question, but... Yeah, no, definitely. I think um, it's probably something that you do intuitively. Um, it's interesting. I, I, I often have not called myself an actor, uh, even though... I act with the puppets because in a sense I suppose I don't want to detract perhaps from people who have studied acting do you know what I mean so I, I call myself a performer or a puppeteer but 
I have perhaps if I'm a bit more generous with myself, I have to sort of think, well, if I don't understand how to read emotions and how to de deliver emotions or how emotion is contained within a body, I mean, mm -hmm. we, we make such fast judgments, perhaps. And I don't necessarily mean that on a moral level, but very fast um, calculated um what's the word i'm looking for it's um i don't think it's prejudice but i think that we make very fast um, calculations on who we're dealing with so you know i think i think i've heard you talk about kind of um young's archetypes and i think even though we know they deal in stereotypes and you know cultural cliches um there's a lot of truth i think um certainly when it comes to performance in in the way that the motivation of a character informs their physicality and vice versa so you know we can yes. we can look at someone and think oh look i can see how tensely they're holding themselves you know and there could be mm. so many you could possibly never guess at what yeah. the cause of that might be but you know it, it i think perhaps it allows you to help maybe get a, a bit of empathy going because you sort of think well actually this person looks like they're quite highly strung maybe i can do something to help them make maybe i can make more of an effort to help them feel at ease so um yeah. so yeah and, and and then you've also got the um you know the if we're if we're performing to a pre-recorded voiceover that is such a driving force of the emotional physicality so if someone is bellowing you can't move casually you have to embody that energy that would force that volume out um oh, i do love it i absolutely love it and so um but then you've also got to sort of try and factor in the mechanics of that particular puppet is it good at doing that and if it isn't you know if there's if there's like a a, a joint that locks or um not so much that locks but if there's a certain language that the puppet is bringing you have to work with that to deliver the emotion you need so maybe there's a little workaround maybe there's a yeah. way of delivering that but allowing the puppet to you know to be true to itself without you know jarring because if you don't work with the puppet it's going to conflict with the message and the emotion you're trying to portray yeah exactly and I, you know i was um i was uh, by the way i <laughs> I did do some courses at City and Guilds. I actually meant the acting course at Guildhall, so my mistake. But okay. um, but I was thinking about, you know, you're playing with restrictions in a way. And that can be a challenge, I'm sure. But I'm sure it's also, I mean, I can tell just by your voice how much you love it, you know, and there's obviously a huge element of creativity. And as creatives, we always like to have a challenge, I think, and see, well, is this really a limitation or is this something that I can like get my teeth into and find a solution into this, but also make it something very special and magical? Definitely. I, I, I think I've probably realised this uh, fairly recently. You know, someone said to me, oh, you know, is it difficult? You think, well, yes, I suppose I'm trying to make it as difficult for myself as I can <laughs> because... <laughs> I want to try, you know, we know we're not going to reach perfection, but we're going to really have a bloody good try to, to sort of maximise everything. And, and that's what's so exciting about puppetry. But I, I, I guess also that meditative quality of any engaging activity, whether it's deemed to be, you know, excessively creative or not, is trying to be really in that moment when your brain is on fire and you feel that you've got that flow. Um, so whether it's mark making or... or, or you know wood carving a, a puppet head it's that being in the moment and trying to reach for something greater than yourself and you know and i think it, you know it's 
I know some people that are a bit nervous about talking about spirituality or or perhaps something that is not particularly quantifiable. But I think we do have to, you know, I think we're I think getting more we're getting more comfortable about recognizing that some things just feel greater than the sum of their parts. And and it doesn't necessarily matter if it's real in, in inverted commas, because it's about brain alchemy and it's about that tapping into, you know, our, perhaps our better selves. I'm gonna get too big of <laughs> Oh no, absolutely. You know, you're, you've come to the right place here. You know, I'm a mystic as well. So do share. I mean, obviously I'm all, uh, I'm very appreciative and understanding of course about the, about people who have an open mind, generally speaking. Um, but yeah, there's the material world and there's the non-material world. And that non-material world doesn't necessarily mean it's immaterial. It, it is relevant. It's important. Um, and that's why, going back to the dark crystal, that is really interesting. If you look at certain um, sub lines within that whole theme, it's very interesting, particularly with what's been going on in Kurt, cough, cough, Hollywood. Um, but yeah, there's a, there's, there's a need, I, I think, to continue to open our minds into not just the logical mind, but the creative mind and appreciate that the creative arts in general are needed and we, we've also noticed that, you know, we spoke about the pandemic just before we hopped on here um, and how important that has been to to us all to think about the greater factors of our life and why we do the things we do, why we're in a job that we're in, you know, the why we're in the relationship that we're in, romantically speaking, uh, what's our purpose in our life. And I hope that a lot of us had really delved deep into these big questions um, how how have, did you, if you don't mind me asking, how did you find the pandemic for you and also your artistry and staying sane as well and balanced? Yeah, no, I think it, it has given a lot of us a chance to to think about um, what we think is important. And I'm always interested. I, I mean, I love wordplay and I love... Um, not love, but I am fascinated by the way the media uses certain words. So, for example, we've we've uh, also conveniently replaced the word refugee with migrant now. You know, so um, and I, I suspect that that's so that um, the legal obligations are different. You know, so um, now it's possible to actually be illegal simply by existing and looking for help. And I think that is disgusting. Um, and and so a lot of these sort of themes of of, of sort of um, fairness and the interconnectivity of everything is um, you know really it runs through the dark crystal you know, and Jim Henson and and the Froud's um, vision um, as well as the new series as well. I mean basically it's a it's a it's a time well told a told a, a time well told tale of. Yes. Um, a, a greedy few sucking literally the uh, the, the lives out of children, out of everybody else, out of the I innocence. Think, yeah, you know, I'm I'm not against uh, uh, um, wealth. I'm not against uh, you know enjoying you know material um, things. But I think that the, the imbalance has become so grotesque that um, you know we describe um, some of the. Uh, the, the the huge vacancies that are apparently available as a as an as an employment crisis and actually mm -hmm. i suspect it's more about people have, have had time to think about whether they're prepared to sell their soul their time their energy and often their health um for whatever the the you know the deemed hourly rate is and so 
-hmm. Yeah, so I think we're going to have to reevaluate. I think there is room to pay people more fairly, but not if we're sending all the money indirectly to, you know, giant oil companies who have admitted they, they, they have so much money, they literally don't know what to do with it. And that is really a lack of creative thinking. I think um, if they don't know how to spend that money uh, that we've somehow allowed to drift towards them, um, I think we're, we're in trouble, which is probably, you know, I know I'm over dramatizing it and romanticizing it, but I think this is why some establishments do fear the creative mind. Um, yes. You know, it's it's what you need to connect to other people to have empathy uh, and compassion um but also that you need to be a creative thinker to picture another way of doing things and there are a lot of people that like the way things are done right now and they don't want to stop um but you know we need several shades of impossible to happen imminently you know we've got so many challenges that need to be solved and i think you know creativity in its broadest, most exciting sense, is going to help us. It, you know, it's, well, I, I'm, I can't remember it's Einstein's quote about, you know, using the same kind of thinking to try and solve the problem, uh, you know, isn't the way forward. So we're going yes, to have to do it's something a sort of a sort of, ma yeah, he said, uh, paraphrasing, um, when you repeat something over and over again to find a result, um, it's kind of the definition of insanity or something like that. So, yeah, yeah. yeah so, we have you know, to so find I, new creative I, ways. Yeah, no, definitely. And, and, and so, you know, maybe we do need to have a little bit think uh, more of a think about the intangible and, and, um, and things that might have been unthinkable or un impossible. Uh, you know, now I, I don't consider myself uh, a psychic or a, or a mystic. Um, I am trying to open myself more to my intuition and my sixth sense, which are, I think really, in a, you know, if I come at it at a slightly scientific sort of level, I feel is easier to um, to justify. Um, and I and I suspect that all the things that I loved, you know, and read about when I was a, a crazy teenager, but you know, have drifted away from, may turn out to be the answers to all that we need. You know, I think I think wood, stone, water, yeah. uh, and you know, crystals and uh, all, yeah. and all the other things. Um, maybe some maybe some music as well like what kind of oh, music were you listening to when you were a teenager that's what I want to know absolutely well, <laughs> psychedelic psychedelic music soundtrack, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> um no definitely I think um yeah you know, when we see what can be done with sound now I think you know that I love ancient history and I love ancient prehistory and I think that all those little tales that haven't gone away and, and those myths and legends that have elements of truth in them, mm. I think may well be, uh, uh, you know, humanity, well, not so much humanity, but a chance for the majority of people to rediscover uh, a connection to, you know, the earth uh, and, and, you know, each other. Um, mm -hmm. Now, whether that is, you know, wrapped up in a mystical kind of, uh, um, romantic sort of ideal it doesn't really matter but I think uh you know we, again back to alchemy it's how we feel about ourselves and about how we feel with each other so I think yeah thank god for hope really um you know yeah. and it is it is hard sometimes to be hopeful but I mm. think it's you know um I think when you feel it you think ah that is a really nice feeling it's not enough it's just the potential we have to sort of try and try and act on it uh, and apply hope you know practically um absolutely so, yeah I'm, absolutely yeah. but it's also it's the the hope you know the hope card in the tarot by the way is the star card the major arcana is the star card 
Um, so, you know, the, again, the, this this podcast is called Hype A. <laughs> There's a hype around the arts and the A is for the best, you know, alpha kind of thing. So someone who's on ch- in charge, someone who's the, who's the boss. And there's this energy of being a star, wanting to be a star um, in the creative industries in general so that we can shine a light on shadow, onto shadow, but also shine a light and share our talents and our gifts. Um, but it can be lonely at the top as well. You know, the star is in space of darkness. <laughs> um, and, and there is a level of something that, it is so far away it's so far reaching but we still want to try and get there somehow and maybe when we get there it's maybe not that much of a hype I don't know um I'm still learning I'm navigating it I was famous for 15 minutes or more than 15 minutes and you know it had had its benefits but you know I'm not I'm not really interested in fame I'm interested in the longevity of things and carrying a positive message and sharing light onto topics that need to be spoken about and again, you know, high pay is all about uh, sharing stories and inspiring people to go and go towards their star, you know, their guiding light. Uh, I think, yeah, um, yeah no, I, I love that. And that's what's been really inspiring about listening to you talking to all these different artists and all these different fields, because there is, you know, there is a recurring theme. Uh, and uh, I think, you know, that connection, that reciprocation is really interesting. And I think, um, you know, I'm a big fan. Fan, I'm going to say a big fan uh, of the work of Nikola Tesla because I wouldn't really pretend to understand all of it. Um, but you know, his, you know, I think in sacred geometry, you know, all these sort of lines and angles and reciprocating um, uh, sort of mathematics, I think, do give us a glimpse of possibly the structure of the entire universe and everything within and maybe without it. So I think. Uh, yeah. You know, I, I, I love the fact, have you have you seen, um, now he's one of my favorite internet guys. He is absolutely brilliant in the intelligence sense and quite a thing to behold. His name's Ken Wheeler mm-hmm. and he, um, he is brilliantly obsessed with magnetism mm-hmm. and gravity mm-hmm. and light. And I think a lot of the stuff he talks about really refers back to the ancients and um and also perhaps some of the early days of the electrical guys um heavy side and um uh, tesla uh and you know he's talking about the ether uh, as in that the emptiness of space is is not empty because you know magnetism can still travel through it so therefore there is some kind of carrier fluid and i suspect that what we used to call the ether we're now calling quantum fluid Exactly. Uh, and and the more I listen to the research that's being done, it gets more and more ex- excitingly sounding like magic because the two are yeah. heading for a really exciting collision. Absolutely, um, not a collision, but joining. No, yeah, absolutely. So, um, I mean, I'm really excited. There's definitely a lot to be said, and that's what I love about quantum physics is that it actually uh, sort of supports the very spiritual ideas and philosophies as like let's say quantifiable evidence somehow. Um, and that's why I love I love reading it. Uh, I haven't read a quantum physics book in a bit. Oh wait, no, I read the oh, that Japanese um, professor. I read his book recently, oh, which is quite cool. Um, he was trying to con- he was trying to continue this uh, theme based on uh, Stephen Hawking's uh, last book, and um, that was it was really interesting. But 
but yeah, there's there's obviously the idea of splitting the atom, which they've done in Switzerland, uh, being an evident evidential thing that if you split an atom and you have one, in theory, half of it on one side of the planet and the other half on the other side of the planet, they still vibrate towards each other. And again, this is a very spiritual bracket, spiritual idea. Um, but it's it's great to see that that magic explored in science um and again you know the sciences were just all alchemy back in the day <laughs> not back in my day but back in ancient history um and there was a, an element of magic absolutely of course i think we're, we're we're heading towards much more towards it feels towards the idea of resonance i mean the the, the idea of some of these particles it sounds as if it's getting harder and harder to insist that they are a single divisible item and that actually that they are co-joined by frequency uh, and possibly even at distance. I mean, you know, there's morphology and um, James Lovelock's work, um, uh, Rupert Sheldrake and all the other guys who delve into stuff that, you know, most people can't afford to touch for fear of ruining their reputations, their careers. Yeah. But I think yes, you know, exactly. We need, exactly. Yeah, yeah. We need that. Um, and if, if it's starting to look like spooky action at a distance, uh, and that a quasi-particle actually is something that behaves like a wave and sometimes a bit like a particle, depending on who's asking, then I think, you know, it's really exciting times. And we already know that the electromagnetic field extends beyond the body. We mm -hmm. don't stop at the apparent visible edges. Um, oh, I, was just, I was listening to um, uh, a biography about um, uh, Leonardo da Vinci, and apparently he would, um, he would stare intently at a needle uh, yes. near his eye and he could tell that because of the the aperture of his pupil that he was able to see around both sides or at least more than 180 degrees of the object in front of him which I think is why he then sort of tended to paint his edges disappearing into space because he, yes. he no longer believed in a hard edge between something and something else or between something and nothing well, and not only is that a romantic mm -hmm. idea but I, I just love it because it works with quantum mechanics again Exactly. No, he's definitely a, a deep observer, that's for sure. Noted as well that your equity name is Tim Cherry Jones, by the way, high pay listeners. That's his professional stage name. Um, so, Tim, how did you get into it all? I think I always found puppetry fascinating. I know I was a big fan of the Muppets growing up and... Um, and we've talked about, you know, The Dark Crystal, but, I, you know, I was, I was 11 when that came out and I went to see it at the cinema. Wow. I, I couldn't believe my eyes. I could not believe what I was seeing on the, on the screen. Well, no, actually, I suppose it was believable, which was the <laughs> unbelievable thing. There was literally an entire landscape of kind of walking sort of sentient plants and creatures and screeching monsters. And, and I suppose perhaps, you know, we, having grown up with the Muppets and, and Jim Henson's amazingly colourful world. Um, and I hasten to add that, you know, Jim Henson was an absolute uh, genius, but he was also brilliant at bringing people in and involving people and working with people. So, you know, he, he was the driving force behind it, but, um, you know, he worked with, you know, the Froud family to, to design the characters um, for the Dark Crystal and the Labyrinth and, um, uh, indeed, you know, the, the, the Froud family, Wendy and um, Brian Froud were um, 
brought back into design um, with their son Toby, who was the little striped pajama child from the labyrinth. He's all oh grown up gosh. now and running a brilliant, uh, you know, um, creative industry himself. Um, so, but you know, wow. um, Jim Henson was brilliant at bringing all these talented people together, and they were inventing technologies, I suspect, to sort of make this stuff happen. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I suppose that was you know, and I, and I, I talk about this in. Uh, in, a, in a TEDx talk that I did, that that was the moment I sort of realised that creativity could make the impossible happen. And I know that, you know, it's smoke and mirrors on the screen, but when you look at the the beauty and the detail of that storytelling, it's so engaging and you just know that the people who've made it have put their heart and soul into it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so that was, I think that was probably the moment I, I, I sort of thought, wow, that's really magical. Um, and so when you were I 11 perform- watching the muffins yeah, or yeah, watching, yeah, so. yeah 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 i think so um and and so um i i did performing arts and i wanted i think at the time perhaps to go via the camera operator route but i must admit i did it i did a course that actually was kind of it wasn't very well organized and we did well considering we were trying to direct ourselves and provide our own motivation. But um, the guy who was running the course, as it turned out, you know, had a lot of challenges. And I think uh, he wasn't able to deliver a well-motivated, crafted course. So I sort of faltered slightly at that point, uh, went home for a year, did a foundation art because I, I had failed to get on a sculpture course, which was my next big idea. Yeah. Uh, and I, I remember going to the um, the the interview for the college and they said to me so what have you got to show us that you want to do sculpture I went oh I haven't done any but I'm really kind of keen and excited and they went well that's great isn't it and I suddenly realized I couldn't I knew I was going to be great or at least I knew I was going to be that I really meant it but I I, I haven't brought any proof with me to show them mm. so I sort of went home had a chance to you know I feel going home is a real eye because you come back a different person you've gone away where when you leave stuff yeah. lying around maybe it's been taken care of you know if you put knives and forks in the sink maybe they've gone <laughs> and the pixies have done it um so i come <laughs> i home, need some pixies over here yeah i come home i'm turning yeah. lights up all the time because my, my yeah yeah having been having been paying for electricity by meter i come home now I'm like no one in here lights off my family would come back into yeah. a room having left it 30 seconds ago we're going why is it dark? Anyway, um, so I reapplied for my sculpture degree um, with a newfound focus, and I and I and I got a distinction at Foundation Art because I loved the making. And where, where did you do this? Sorry, Tim. Where did you study then? Yeah. Well, this was um, I did my Foundation Art at South Devon College, which used to be called Torquay Technical College, where I grew up in Torbay uh, by the sea. Oh, and lovely. um yeah. yeah it was really you know it was so exciting I, I think I probably couldn't believe my luck spending all day making stuff and thinking about stuff and thinking about making stuff and making stuff about what I've been thinking wow oh absolutely blew my mind I thought yeah I want to do more of that I, I'd done a puppet project for my previous sort of camera kind of course or at least my media course um which was the, probably the best thing about it um and I still thought I wanted to do puppetry, but I think at the time I was thinking, well, I don't want to just go make puppets or just go make models. I think I was thinking I'd like to work with ideas more. So I thought I'll, I'll go and do sculpture, which of course I realize now is sort of patronizing to model makers because it's like, well, you don't make something without an idea. You don't make something without a concept and a truth to what you're aiming for. So, you know, 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, a little bit of uh, humility there would have been good. Um, but I did my I did my sculpture degree um, at Loughborough, at Loughborough um, College of Arts, which I think is part of the university now. Yes, and yes, yeah. yeah, it was a real it was a real maker's course. I know I've looked at some courses which seemed incredibly conceptual, um, and this was you know these guys were really keen on the ideas, but they really were makers and doers. These were you could tell these were practicing artists who couldn't stop making this stuff so they were at college as well teaching and sharing but they were also doing it all the time and I think all the time yeah I love yeah. that I love people like that I've had I've had teachers like that professors like that where they're just on like the it's not necessarily that they're always on but it's more that they have this passion for it absolute passion they they don't they don't just have a shed they have the shed a work shed but they also have a studio and like other things going on as well at the same time yeah no definitely and I, and I thought wow that's really that's really inspiring and, and you realize that even though it's a three-year degree and I absolutely loved it and I surprised myself that I enjoyed uh, stone carving that really surprised me because I, I didn't consider myself particularly patient when it came to materials and there is that kind of agonizing weight whilst you're teasing that form out of the stone um, but I mm-hmm. guess you know the agony makes <laughs> makes the victory as imperfect the agony as it the, is all the sweeter the, uh, yeah the, ag- the agony and the ecstasy I think that oh. was uh I think that was John Don Dunn's poem the agony and the ecstasy anyway, yeah that's uh, something no, else but I was, I was thinking I about um, <laughs> I was thinking about Michelangelo when you were talking about you know the the stonework you know sort of drawing the form out of the marble if you will as well yeah, we well we didn't we didn't employ um, carriages to drag marble out of the out the valley or anything. We uh, we paid ten pounds to the guy that worked at the gate of the local quarry. I think <laughs> he bought beer money, and we yeah. bought slightly fractured rock fragments that have been near the blast lines. So I think yeah, you might be chiseling away, and suddenly one of your really important ideas falls off. You think, okay, oh my gosh. Ch- change a plan. <laughs> I mean, I wasn't doing figurative stuff, so yeah. I suppose if you keep it uh, uh, abstract, then you can. Yeah. You've got room for manoeuvre. Um, Absolutely. And did did you look at the works of um, Barbara Hepworth as well when you were doing the degree? Oh, yeah, absolutely beautiful. And and Barbara Hepworth as well as a as a wordsmith. I I just can't. Oh, she's absolutely beautiful. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. And and her and her sort of you know her gallery and museum in the in Cornwall is is such a, a, an amazing space yeah. yeah it's obviously it's obviously touches you in a way that can't necessarily be explained I can tell um and so so you obviously you've trained obviously you've trained uh professionally um you did that route um and but and you're from Cornwall originally and I know that you're in Banbury yeah why did I read Banbury then uh, I, I suppose strange. I said Torbay, which is kind of south coast. You know, we're not far from you know, We used to holiday in Cornwall quite a lot. We still do actually with my you know my family now. So uh, you know we we you know it's it's where all the crazy hills live, really, isn't it? I think. Okay. Um. I thought I read that you were in Banbury in Oxfordshire, but uh, I, I am I am in Banbury. So you said oh, Cornwall. You are. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay. So um, you moved from there to Banbury. When when was that? And was that for a specific motive or reason or? Well, I, I met Nick, my wife, while I was at, in the last year of my degree show. Um, mm-hmm. uh, it was really romantic. Uh, it was on a pub crawl, actually, which I think all, all good marriages should start. <laughs> um, I was with my I was with my family, uh, who 
um, my, my gran had passed away the Christmas day the year before. And my mum said, look, I think I want to be somewhere different for Christmas next year. Do you guys, you know, me and my sister fancy, you know, a free holiday with the family. We went skiing, which I'd never done before. My sister had with the school. Um, yeah. And I, I met Nick in Andorra. Um, uh, oh. She was really cool. Off skiing with all her friends, you know, as I was with yeah. my mom and dad and my sister. Um, but yeah, so, you know, you never know what's going to happen, do you? You never know. What, what opportunities might you know, appear when you put yourself you know, somewhere out of your comfort zone, I suppose? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, definitely. And being open to receiving as well. That's beautiful. Um, have you thought about teaching or have you done teaching as well? Have you taught? I haven't taught as a qualified sort of you know, uh, teacher, but um, I did work as a house manager at the Mill Art Centre in Banbury, which is a fab little um, venue, um, for about seven years. And in that time, they were so supportive. If, if puppeteering work came up, if a chunk of puppeteering work came up that, you know, I could do, um, I was able, you know, with their support to cover me, I was able to go and do that as well. So I kind of, I managed to sort of, it wasn't really affordable to live on just the wages of a house manager at an art centre, you know, from local um, government funding. Yeah. But it was just, you know, we worked out as provided we didn't buy food, um, clothing or fix anything. It was it was almost enough. So um, yeah. the puppetry was like a really <laughs> both a, an absolute creative lifeline, um, yeah. because I think that's where my sort of heart lay. Um, and Gorgeous. yeah, it was it was an amazing space. Um, so I, I ran workshops there, you know, the, the, being a small team, they're really supportive. They're always really keen to sort of maximize and encourage um, whatever. Um, artistic input people could put and I think it's one of the things where if you can't do exactly what you want to do I think the next best thing is to sort of almost kind of creatively goal hang <laughs> at the next mm -hmm. most um at the next nearest psychological point and so an art center for me was you know a, a really yeah it was a really smart move young mm -hmm. family um, quite bizarre hours sometimes I'd be working the night shift you'd be there with like 400 people all rocking away in the in the in the theatre coming wow. home at two in the morning uh, listening to Bob Harris hearing about David Seeley's music late in the middle of the night um, and so yeah it was lovely and and it had an exhibition um, space um, I think it was important almost to say that it wasn't it yeah it was not a dedicated gallery it was almost like it was literally the thoroughfare between the theatre the dance studios, the art mm -hmm. studios where people were doing lessons. And, you know, I used to run uh, puppet making workshops or cartooning workshops and things like that. Um, but the number of times I sold um, art on the walls to people who, who weren't expecting to be buying art, you know, there'd be people traveling through. And I think the informality of that space sometimes really allow people to uh, engage with art that mm -hmm. you know they may not have done anywhere else so I know it wasn't purist it wasn't you know just an art gallery space but oh man I was a big fan of how it sort of you know it caught people up you'd see people going hello I think I want to buy you this piece of work <laughs> yes <laughs> you can see their faces going well I don't think I, I don't consider myself an art buyer yeah so, no worries you know, well, 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 you know this little yeah. center will take your money yeah, yeah, this is this is a you'll be the first patron then possibly. Um, yeah. That's amazing. And what about Hollywood? Have you ever thought about being a Jim Henson as well? Well, I mean, you know, 
I'm I'm far too humble to even pretend that I could be anywhere close to that. But I I I am getting to a point where I've recognised that it is possible to do a lot on your own. You know, I can make yes. stuff. I can, and you know, with the technology now, I can record stuff. But um, it reminds me of when I, I, I one of the first biggest jobs I got was um, puppeteering live on CBBC for Children's BBC in the UK. Uh, an amazing two and a half years, um, live in between the programs, you know, if it went well, brilliant. If it didn't, it was gone anyway. <laughs> so, uh, but, you know, so I'd be, I'd be, I'd be watching the programs, writing little scripts and sketches. And, you know, it was a small team. Everyone's so busy. They were quite happy, I think, and pleased that I could provide them with content. I've made the props for the, for the sequence as well. I've, 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 you know, I've used some graphics, um, tools to sort of maybe put some backdrops off. So I, I had a really, fun amount of input on that um and when that contract came to an end I, I had a chance to do some more work that was less puppeteering based but at the time I felt that I I, I hadn't had enough of puppetry so I I said that you know I would um I'd go my own way so I left mm. that small you know supportive family mm. and I remember thinking wow this is great I can um I'll make my own puppet so I I, I, I created this dragon puppet in clay and I cast it into latex you know found a little secondhand denim jacket and and I, and I borrowed a camera at the time because you know, it was hard to get hold of cameras technology wasn't as cheap as it is now with everything being here on our phones and I I borrowed this camera and I was recording myself with a remote control in the field and I'm puppeteering away and I'm thinking why isn't this any fun yeah. <laughs> I suddenly looked at myself sat on my own in a field puppeteering trying to entertain myself and I thought ah, it's not just the puppetry, it's mm -hmm. being with other people, it's working mm -hmm. with other people, it's sharing ideas, it's bouncing off each other. And I think for me, that was a real significant moment when I realised that, yes, I, I can do a lot of this on my own, but where's the fun in that? You know, yeah. so, um, you know, I think, you know, Jim Henderson's talent was allowing people to shine and to really lift and buoy people and to encourage them to go as far as they can. So, I mean, I, you know, if I can do that in some small way, um, and I think maybe maybe I feel ready to sort of try and sort of you know expand my creative horizons. I think my sculpture work feeds into my puppetry, mm -hmm. my excitement about sacred geometry or the the non physical mm -hmm. and all those fascinating things, and the fact that we might be rediscovering some of these things for humanity. The fact that that ties in with the reciprocal nature that art can do. So, mm -hmm. yeah, I mean sometimes my head's a, a buzz with so many things it can be a bit overwhelming yes we'll just make which of those <laughs> yeah which of those things to pursue yeah. but you know I love drawing and I love yeah. mark making and I, and I love sculpting and working with my hands and I love mm -hmm. you know and, and, and so listening to your podcast <laughs> of, of hype a it's been a real you know a real treat because uh again uh -huh. it's just like oh I hadn't really heard many people talking about curating or, oh, I hadn't really yeah. heard um, you know, about writers, you know, uh, and things like that. So, yeah, and, and, I, and I have to be careful that I, I don't, you know, explode in all directions at once. So you know, it okay. does pay to, it does pay to focus on something, but uh, I love the oh, fact it's that it's fine. connected. It's totally fine. And, you know, uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a person that does many things, not just art, you know, you know, as you know, um, but, yeah, I, I was I was watching your um Mr. Fuggles on Charlie Brooker's You've Been Watching on Channel Four. 
uh, actually, oh, which is yeah. 2010. It's actually it's so funny. <laughs> Hi, pay listeners. Please watch Mr. Fuggles on Charlie Brooker's You've Been Watching. You can find it on YouTube now. Uh, it was filmed in the, um, was it BBC television, but it was on um, Channel 4. It, it, anyway, yeah, right. it's, it's hilarious. It's yeah. hilarious. And, and your Mr. Fuggles, uh, essentially, how how did you how do you merge the com- the comedic element to something that's quite complex when you're operating a puppet? Now you know some people say <clears throat> I perform the puppet, um, mm-hmm. I operate the VCR. You know, one of my one of puppet puppeteer gurus uh, used to talk <laughs> about that. Um, I think <laughs> it's true. one of those things where. If hopefully, if you've got to a point where you you can puppeteer the puppet enough to capture those nuances, I think I I, I know you know two thousand ten was a long time ago. We're now twenty twenty two, so you know I I should stop talking about Mister Fuggles. But for me, it was a really nice example <laughs> of where I was allowed the 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 room to puppeteer and respond live in an improvisational. So it was with some of my, my heroes, Mark Watson, uh, Charlie Brooker, and um, you know, the guys were fantastic. And so you really do talk about being in the flow. For me, it was a great mm. moment. There, there are imperfections I can see when I watch it back, but the overall level of um, sheer joy that I had in my brain trying to you know lift myself up to you know the level of comedy that these guys were at and i think i held my own you know, i think um you know he did re- yeah. he, he you know he trended in the uk on that evening of broadcast so i was really shocked i had to suddenly go and try and get some t-shirts made of uh, mr fuggles that's um, great i would please do send yeah. me a t-shirt mr fuggles i would love that i would absolutely um, love that um okay, all right, noted i'll try <laughs> Um, hint, hint, I would love a Mr. Fuggles t-shirt. <laughs> okay, all right, I'll see what I can um, do. It's, been, it's okay. been 15 years since I've been anywhere near Cafe Press. Um, <laughs> I'll make it, I'll make it, I'm not on Twitter anymore, but I'll make it trend on Instagram. There you go. Okay. Um, right, you. But talking about operating and, you know, performing, uh, we, we, we're sort of touching slightly on post-humanism here as well, because when you're in connection, in a connection with a computer or a connection with like typing or connection with puppetry, you become that thing. Uh, Subconsciously, you're not really, you know, consciously you're not aware of it, but subconsciously you end up becoming part of it. And that's also part of the post-human idea. Um, I also have a painting called Post-Human Doctrine. And I was was just about to say part of the post-human doctrine that we don't, we're not aware of, we're not aware of. Um, so I can understand what you mean by you performing, but it's also becoming that thing, which is quite uh, an esoteric thing in, its sense, in itself. Don't just look at the wa- water, be the water, become the water, become the very thing that you are observing, um, which is, you know. Do you find great. that when you, when you paint? I mean, I know that yes. you, obviously you have so many different tools that which to which you can apply the paint mm-hmm. but I, I guess I mean well you can tell me about it I, I assume that you're trying to find that moment where actually you're 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 busy mindfully trying to express an idea or seek out and find that idea that actually you're not really thinking about holding the trowel or, or, mm-hmm. or the palette knife or whatever it might be mm-hmm. I mean you know, tell me a bit yeah. about that well absolutely um well I'll just say briefly that I 
I've got, I'm working on two series at, at this moment, working on works on paper, um, which I haven't done in a long time. They're large sheets of paper, very dark, and they're part of this series called The Dark Knight of the Soul, essentially uh, non-ordinary reality, which is part of The Dark Knight of the Soul aesthetic. So <laughs> quite scorpionic in the sense they're very dark and <laughs> trauma-inducing, I would say. Um, but people like it. They love it. Um, <laughs> so there's that. So that's quite, uh, a, that's that's me being part of the flow and that's me, you know, in, part, in terms of the human experience and acting, let's say, I have to get into the zone of experiencing that dark night of the soul. So I am in the flow of that. I'm channeling that emotion, which is me. It's no one else's. Yeah. It's, it's my experience. So that's in the flow. But I have another series which I'm working on, which I can't tell you the name of the series because it's very hush-hush and... I'm hoping there's going to be a big blockbuster solo show about it next year. Uh, lots and lots of paintings, uh, more than 50 paintings, large paintings. Um, wow. And this is something that I've actually, I've created sketches for each painting. Uh, this is a master opera of mine, which I've been wanting to do for two, three years. And I've been encouraged by spirit to go ahead and do it. So I've been doing it. It's honestly, it's been, a, it's, I, I won't swear, but, well, you can swear here, by the way, but it's been a real headache, let's say, to do because I've done the sketches and they haven't worked. And then I've had to redo them and I started doing the paintings and then I'd hated the paintings and then I unstretched them and then reused the stretches. So I've restarted the series. Um, and that, again, is a labor of love dedication, perseverance, loyalty to the series, loyalty to my life purpose as well in needing to do this because it's never been done before in abstract form, this this theme. And, um, and then I just essentially, I'm actually now at a place where I'm, let's say happy because happiness, I have a painting called Happiness is Transient, not in this series, but part of my Hello Again show last year. I'm in balance and content with the with the um with the results thus far. And there are eight paintings thus far. So I think I'm now really in the flow of it now. I, I like the format, the size of it. They're, they are responding back to the sketches quite well. Um, and again, the sketches aren't necessarily just they're sketches, they're preliminal ideas. And then the final object um is is the paintings. So yeah, there's, it's honestly, it's a labor of freaking love. <laughs> okay, it's a labor of love. And I've been bashing them in, I've been hammering them, I've been untacking them, you know, it's, it's been, it's been a ride. Um, and I have more to do. So each, each, each painting is different. But you know, I have an episode coming out after this one, where I answer some of these questions, um, as I, as I will be doing at the end of each season. So that's that. But, um, but yeah. <laughs> it's, I, I know that when I, I did my degree in sculpture, whenever I bought a new sketchbook, which was sort of probably A2 size maybe, I never liked that crisp, the, the pressure of trying to start the next sketchbook. So the first thing I did, having bought the book, was bash all the corners in, stamp on it profusely, and <laughs> rub it into the plaster-coated floor <laughs> to at least try and... Because I think it's almost exactly. like that performance pressure. Um, actually, having said that, I suppose that actually 
I'm going to contradict myself now. At the time, it was a bit like I didn't want the added pressure of, of, of soiling a new notebook with a, a, an unsatisfactory sketch, which probably means I would have just quit before I'd reached a point that I was happy with. So maybe that's looking back that I, I would have done that differently. But yeah. there are times when you're in the studio where, you know, they've been lighting the set, building the set, framing it up, practicing the moves. And then suddenly the whole room goes quiet and they go, okay, now you puppeteer that whilst everybody stands and stares at what you're doing live or as live, yeah? And you re you have to almost try and, you have to try and find that disembodied zone where Absolutely. you've got to, you can't really, I mean, it's already pressured enough because you want to try and get it right, but trying to get it right in front of the entire studio, knowing how expensive studio time is. Yeah. And then suddenly everybody in the room becomes very aware of how time moves when it's mm -hmm. your turn to start. Yes. <laughs> yes. Start um, but, you know, again, I've been very lucky to have been involved with so many, you know, brilliant teams where people really are all aiming for the same goal because it's hard enough when everyone's trying to get their best delivered without extra hassle of mm -hmm. ego crashing or, or, you know, kind of, um, unnecessary obstinance so exactly you know, but it, yeah it is an amazing I, feeling trying to find that zone I, absolutely and I, I think you know part of what I do is solo as an artist but the teamwork element is obviously also like yours you're in your in, in your industry specifically it, there is a team involved there's PR there's a whole sending out the mass the message the the magic as well of this gift that I've been given I'm sharing it to the world there's the whole uh there are, there are people working together in a specific way, in a specific goal. And, you know, I, I'm sure you've had many other episodes as well, um, including teamwork in the film industry on High Pay in season one, where there's been talk about working together as a team and you're just all focused on one goal. And you, you've got to trust other people as well, I would say, and understanding the objective, understanding the intention, the theme as well. And then it's showtime let's go you know um but so what are you working on at the moment uh, at this time um at the moment i'm doing a little bit of writing um i've just finished making a, a couple of um uh props um for a project and so um, and there's a there's a there's a possible it's often the case that you don't you couldn't know for sure if something's going to go ahead it's a pencil it's a heavy pencil and then they say, uh, you know, we haven't had the design signed off. We might have to push it back a day. So oh, the yeah. stuff always in flux. So it's it's not necessarily the calmest of <laughs> um, sort of uh, landscapes to sort of work in. But I, I guess it's the price you pay for sort of being able to to be involved in all those different mm. kinds of creativity. Um, uh, and I think I, tell you, I did. I did find recently in the attic uh, a collection of my drawings from primary school, and 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 there's one including. It said, "When I grow up, I want to be," and it said, "an artist." Amazing. And I think you know, there's a, a lot of times I'm really well. No, I am happy with calling myself an artist because actually I think it's important to have a catch-all word because it's such really? a big topic, it's such a big job, and it should. Or, well, in my opinion. It yeah. should have multi tendrils and go off mm -hmm. in all directions and 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 cross pollinate. And so, artist, I think I am happy with that. You know, I, whether yeah. whether I'm an actor or not, even though I do acting, you know, um, I'm you know, I'm still working on. No, it's but an I art think, form. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think um, 
I, I wish for people that that more people knew how artistic and how creative they are. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I went to a school. In fact, I went back to my old primary school that I grew up in recently, which is fantastic. Um, and I was sort of saying to people, you know, the, the pupils, you know, who here thinks of themselves as creative? And, and most people put their arms on, which is great. And I said, and who doesn't think of themselves as creative? And there was about, there's probably about one or two. And uh, and I said, to, I said, so what, what do you enjoy? I said, do you, do you enjoy football? He said, yeah, I do. I said, well, I said, how are you going to get that ball from one side of the pitch to the other? I said, I said, you don't just, um, you don't just kick it. I said, assume that, you know, you have to figure out live, an improvisation of how to get around all those changing things. I said, you are aiming for a creative goal of getting that ball through that mm-hmm. net. And you've got all those real world challenges to coerce a performance through. So I said, so actually I said, I think you are a creative. I said, but maybe you didn't realize it. So oh, I'd like to think that was a win because you know, I hate to think that someone didn't yeah. recognize their own creativity. That's the Absolutely. challenge. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think, you know, we need to be inspired by positive teaching as well and role models I would say and I think you you smashed it (laughs) on that one and talking about (laughs) inspirational people um who would you count as your three inspirational people oh I did start trying to hone it down to three okay so um (laughs) I've made I've made notes I thought okay maybe I'll just ignore well I'm going to I'm going to say Nikola Tesla because I think he was a really creative person in fact I heard one of his, uh, well, or maybe I read it, but he was talking about his thought experiments, right? So he would he would design and invent a machine in his head, and then he would run it for days on end to see how the ball bearings would wear on it. Now, whether that's real or accurate or not, but the, th- the fact that someone had the confidence in his internal mental building landscape to run a thought experiment to see how the cogs would wear over time is just phenomenal. Just the idea gets me so excited. And so, um, you know, he he really was out there and he, you know, he he acknowledged that there was a greater intelligence of which he considered himself to tap into. And I think that, you know, everyone who I has found inspiring has often been humble enough to at least recognize that they felt themselves you know, um, in touch with some kind of muse, something greater than the sum of their own parts. And I, and I suppose I think he's the epitome of that for me, because I think um, he did some amazing things and could have done more if uh, if he was allowed to. So, yeah. So, uh, you know, again, I think of him as, a, as an amazing creative. Um, so, so maybe Nikola Tesla. OK, so oh, I did, that's the writer. Um, OK, music is a big part for me and I think you, you were saying that you listen to music when you're creating your yes. um your work sometimes is that always oh, I mean sometimes? I, I listen to music all the time <laughs> all the yeah. time yeah and, and, do, I, I also and do have... you choose stuff that reflects the kind of landscape you want to be involved in no not really I also have chromesthesia as well so I can hear uh color as well so uh well that, that's for another episode but it doesn't really matter necessarily yeah I, I'm always constantly listening to music Oh, you've just having heard you say that. It's, it's reminded me that oh god, so many things. Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll. I'll We've got a limited time, though. Too, okay, but. okay. Um, <laughs> the alchemists that created the um, stained glass windows of, of of the cathedrals of Europe. We don't know how to recreate some of those colours because we don't know what they put into them. 
but it's amazing the fact that you know you can you can roll a load of mushrooms through ultraviolet light and that produces vitamin d in the way that we do because we're actually quite we've got a lot in common with mushrooms so that's so yeah well thought. mushrooms is also a whole psychedelic arena yeah as well. yeah okay so and that case i'm probably gonna say um janelle monet as, as, as oh, amazing um, yeah uh, i think she is an absolute force of positivity um and creativity and you know again watching watching her work and her music videos and listening to her harmonies and her lyrics really inspiring so that's that's probably the musical thing um and actually i suppose you mentioned barbara hepworth who does keep popping back into my head and, yeah. and you know I, I know i haven't really particularly chosen the, an international um uh, sort <laughs> of okay. selection um, but I, I do try and keep myself open and i and i must admit i do you know when you've been chatting to your other um guests on on hype a a lot of the time I've had to hit pause and then go scurrying off to find out about, um, you know, uh, Jung's Red Book or, um, you know, uh, another thing. So, you know, it's it's really exciting. So, um, yeah, I suppose, um, yeah, that's probably, must be, that's, that's, that's my three, uh, I think. Yeah. Is that three? Yeah, that's three. I mean, definitely. Three, okay. I, I also I also think, um, I was wondering if maybe if you'd like Tim Burton as well, because he started off his whole sort of you know film work um in a similar environment as yours I would say as well yeah definitely I think he's a real multidisciplinarian I think and I love does him give so much a really but also you know his his storytelling is uh is beautiful have you, have you seen Wednesday have you been watching yeah that on I have. I've watched the whole thing it's great I love yeah. it I'm as I said I, I'm actually like a complete geek for Tim Burton I, I've always I followed his work um well obviously I wasn't around before the 80s but I love his work so much. I have a few books as well, um, Nightmare Before Christmas uh, yes. and like The Strange Incident of Oyster Boy and other stories, that, that kind of, uh, those kind of uh, weird gothic stories. I just love his work. Um, what would you share with the high pay listeners um, in terms of tricks? So tips and tricks, three tips and tricks. Okay, um, I suppose, I think probably doing is is one of the biggest things. I think, um, and again, I know that some of your other guests have talked about this. I think you know, you don't have to wait for the magic finger to come down and, and and sort of point at you or to pluck you and and drop you in a successful situation. I think never underestimate um, the ability to kind of create your own momentum. Um, and I'm gonna I'm gonna contradict that I'm sure any second now maybe 20 seconds away um, because I think it gets you in the in the mindset of where you want to be so you're you're sort of fulfilling your own destiny you know that's a good that's a good it's almost like tapping the engine a little bit of fuel to get you moving um, and then I suppose I would say uh, connect I think you know is one of the the biggest things having you know having honed your your kind of uh, ability to sort of kickstart your own sort of mental creative landscape uh try and seek out other people that you know that chime with you and it's always that i love that you know that the um the wordplay of chiming and resonance um and i think maybe this is going to drift slightly into the third one which may just be another aspect of it but it's sort of the reciprocal thing so that never underestimate the the reciprocal nature of any connection because you know you're not merely connecting to somebody, somebody is connecting to you. And so I think, you know, I love the fact that the infinity symbol may also be a, a kind of a cross segment of the electromagnetic 
donut, the other you know, toroid, the shape of the the shape of the um, the black hole, you know, the blood cell, the electromagnetic toroid, and potentially the shape of the universe. For every action, there is an equal and opposite reaction, I think, and I think they're not always visible. So you know, keep the faith. Oh, that's that's like three point A. Keep the faith. Keep sending out the energy because it, it does it does come back, and then, you know you you know you can do it for altruistic reasons, or you can do it for you know almost a little bit of self-preservation i think working with other puppeteers has been a really kind of humbling experience in as much that i think on the whole puppeteers are probably more in tune with working with other people than perhaps you know well maybe it's a bit like being a musician and i'm not really a musician so i you know i can only sort of paraphrase what i think i've heard but it's that it's that finding other people to share stuff with and connect with and it's the sort of the real time goal of um, of creating something beautiful that you couldn't really achieve on your own or that is actually just more fun to create with other people. So, yeah. So, again, it's, it's sort of a bit of a recap, isn't it? It's sort of it's connect. You know, it's um, tune into other people. You know, find find your people, um, you know, make sure that I suppose make sure that you're looking for the people who are going to bring out the best in you, because I think it's 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 obviously. It's easy to go and find people that agree with you, but actually I think it's important to try and make sure you, yeah, and again, as this is always advice for yourself, isn't it? To try and find people that actually uh, inspire you to be your best self. And, uh, and, and in turn, it's such a buzz to try and help people if, if you can as well. So um, yeah, connect, you know, reciprocate, share. Um, and do it you know, and do, do the work. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and do and do it, yeah. Wonderful. Well, that's beautiful. Thank you so much, Tim. It's been lovely oh, having you. you here on this episode. Thank you so much. Yeah, absolutely loved it. Thank you. Um, thank you so much, high pay listeners. That's it on this episode. We do hope that you've enjoyed it, that you've liked it. Please do make sure that you send a feedback, leave a feedback, give us five stars, please. <laughs> um, and definitely follow us on Instagram on high pay voices follow high pay on all podcast platforms including spotify apple music amazon music or wherever you get your favorite podcasts lovelies thank you so much our episodes drop every thursday usually but this is going to be the last week for high pay and we're going to be coming back after the next episode for season three in 2023 so catch you on the next episode bye for now <laughs>